birthday prodigal we are so thankful for these first six years as a church and i think that i speak for sarah and i when i say that these have been the best six years of our lives time has flown by and we have experienced so much in these past six years there's been so much change in our world in our church in our family we've moved locations we've come back we've people come people go staff changes just so many things that we've got to experience together changes but i think none have been more shocking to our family and to our church than John's bald head. And we went from hair to no hair in these past six years and ooh, jump scare. And so I think, I can't think of anything more shocking, more something that's rocked the world more in these past three years, since 2020. I, I can think I of can't other think things. Of anything that's been more of a change and more something to get more used to you know a new normal than his bald head. i don't think so there's other things so. that are bigger yeah. nothing yes nothing significantly larger than my bald so. head. yeah no but we wear hats and we're selling new hats today after church yeah pick one up he yeah. will for sure he'll be he'll be wearing it weekly so if you want to match him john john my friend <laughs> And praise God for hats. And speaking of hats, as you came into church this morning, you all saw the new Prodigal Church merch that's available for purchase. We've got shirts and sweatshirts and stickers, and most importantly, hats. Check it out. We invite you to stick around after service today to purchase our new merch. We'll also have Heavenly Freeze Italian ice truck, inflatables for the kids, and a photo booth. So hang out with us. Um. So stick around, stick around after church for a good time. <laughs> uh, Please don't say that. Okay. I wasn't going to. I'm sweating. Here we go. We invite you to stick around after service today to purchase our new... <laughs> the tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. The tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. But I gotta get a but I gotta get a... Tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. Are you saying the teeth or the teeth? It should be the teeth. Tip of the tongue, the teeth, not the teeth. It's different. <laughs> teeth are different than teeth. And tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. Yeah. It's not talking about teeth. <laughs> oh, well, you learn something new every day. Tip of the tongue, the teeth. teeth okay, the okay. Honestly, that's news to me, so I'm not going to Okay. Next Sunday is the finale of our Paparazzi Sermon Series. We would love for you to join us at 10 a.m. next week as we finish our expose on the life of King David. To stay up to date on all things Prodigal, download the Prodigal Church app at the App Store, and if this is your first time, fill out the online Connect card. Our fall session of small groups starts in just two weeks. Small groups really are an amazing way for us to grow in our love for God and for others. You can sign up outside in the foyer today or online on our app or website. Last year, Prodigal's birthday, John and I did a TikTok. Last year at Prodigal's birthday, John and I did a TikTok dance to promote our new merch. Yeah, it was, it was a ton of fun. Sure. People really liked it. That's what he keeps saying. So he's begged and pleaded with me to do another one. Sarah, find a cool dance we could do to show off our new merch. It makes me seem cool. So I gave in and I said, sure. So we hope you enjoy. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, Prodigal! Prodigal.
everybody knows this way here. Your mother, your father, Let's your go. sister, your brother, 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 your I grew up listening to oldies. They were the soundtrack of my childhood. And even now, if I hear a song from that season, I'm immediately brought back. Can you relate? There's this one song by Leslie Gore that I heard not long ago, and it relates to today. Here it is. You would cry too if it happened to you. Now in that song, there's this sentiment that many of us unconsciously subscribe to. And the sentiment is this, it's my day and I get to do whatever I want. Now we have taught our children this sentiment. On our kids' birthdays, they get to choose where we go to dinner. Our son Dex just turned 10 last month and he got to choose whatever restaurant he wanted to go to on God's green earth. And so on August 23rd, 2023, Sarah and I and our children went to Little Caesars Pizzeria. Okay, it's, it's fancy. It, Little Caesars is so exclusive that there is absolutely no seating inside of this restaurant. And so we had his birthday dinner sitting together in our car in the parking lot, eating off of brown napkins. Okay, and it was pretty good. Today is Prodigal Church's sixth birthday, and it's my party, and I'll cry if I want to. It's our birthday, so we get to choose where we go. And today, we're headed to the circus. Jesus spoke in parables. Parables were short stories. The stories were taken from everyday life and were intended to illustrate and teach spiritual lessons. Well, that's what we're going to be doing today, and we're going to use a movie as a parable to teach us something about God's kingdom. Have you seen this movie? The Greatest Showman. It came out in 2017, the very same year we started as a church. The Greatest Showman is a film chronicling the life of P.T. Barnum and the circus that he created. Now, critics hated it. They hated The Greatest Showman. Moviegoers loved it. Uh, there was a movie journalist from the New York Times published an article not long ago where he asked viewers, what's so great about The Greatest Showman? Nearly 1,200 readers took to the New York Times to tell him. It's the message, dream, live, find your tribe, don't be afraid to blunder, rise up, fall in love, Show the world who you are. How can you not understand why it's so good? I am a legal aid attorney. A lot of my cases involve child abuse. It breaks my heart to see these children. A particularly horrible case came my way yesterday. During my commute, I put on The Greatest Showman soundtrack and I felt better. I contemplated going to the movie again. I've seen it six times already. Last one. I'm a grown woman, but this movie makes you feel like you're 17 again and that you can fly like Zendaya. You walk out of the theater on a cloud feeling victorious. It makes you believe everything could be possible. Love, dreams, jobs, businesses, success. Maybe I should look into buying a trapeze.
We love this film in our house. Dex and Ivy used to sing and dance to all their favorite parts. And it is a fictional story of a real life person. There are parts of the story that actually happened. P.T. Barnum was born in July of 1810. This is a photo of P.T. Barnum. Uh, later in life, he became an author. He was a politician. He served as the mayor of Bridgeport, Connecticut, and also in the House of Representatives in the state of Connecticut. He wrote books and also tracts, uh, tracts that described his faith in Jesus. He was an entrepreneur. By the time he was 31 years old, he thought that he could make a buck by getting people to come into a museum filled with curiosities, oddities. And so he had wax figures. He thought that if I could create a museum, uh, people would actually start coming. And then he had this idea. Maybe if we had real life human beings who were oddities, that people would pay even more to see them. This wasn't an act of kindness on his part. He wanted to make some money. And at the time, these people were called freaks of nature. People who had abnormalities. And so he ended up hiring an interesting cast of performers. Here's a few of them. These are real life pictures. Charles Stratton, his name was, as a performer was Tom Thumb or General Tom Thumb. And he was just over two feet tall as an adult. There was Chang and Ang. Uh, they were Siamese twins. And people were absolutely fascinated by them. And by the way, they both got married. Okay? They had 21 children between them. They had two houses and they would spend three days at one house and four days at the other with their families and they would go back and forth. That's how they live their lives. Now here's a picture of them and their wives. They don't seem very happy about it. The wives don't seem very happy about it. Then there was Theodore, Theodore the dog-faced boy. And finally there was Annie Jones, the bearded woman. These were just a few of the acts that were part of the Barnum Museum. It was a museum long before it was a circus. And each of these persons had a rare medical condition. And it wasn't understood at the time. And it led to their unique appearances. Most of them were outcasts in their communities. They were people who were often humiliated or harassed. But they found a home in Barnum's Museum. And now today, we would press pause and we would ask questions about putting people with abnormalities or deformities on display and people paying to see them. But the film doesn't raise these questions. Rather, it raises the idea that for people who feel like they don't matter or that they don't belong, that there is a place where you belong, where you are beautiful, even glorious. That's one of the most beautiful parts of the film that for those who are shameful, odd, outcasts, there is a place for them to be beloved. In the movie, Barnum has this idea. That he's going to gather these people together, form a community, and he's gonna make stars out of them. And so he begins to look for them. And I love the scene where he does this uh, because he uses wanted signs. Uh, I was reminded of how often in the history of our planet, People who are different are excluded and made to feel unclean. We know this happens in the church, but it's not just in Christianity today, but uh, also happens in the Bible. 
So if you go back to the book of Leviticus, you go back to the Old Testament, there's this group of folks that were called the Levites. And they were supposed to take care of the tabernacle and then later on in the temple. And there is this exclusionary clause in Leviticus 21. It says this, No man who has any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed. No man with a crippled foot or hand. Or who is a hunchback or a dwarf. Or who has any eye defect. Or has, who has festering or running sores or damaged testicles. Well, this is making half of us very uncomfortable. Verse 21, no descendant of Aaron the priest who has any defect is to come near to present the food offerings to the Lord. Why was that? Because the writer of Leviticus believed that these people were unclean, unworthy to serve God in this way. They were allowed to receive pity and charity, but they were thought to be unclean. They were not allowed to actually serve in the temple. But these were the very people that Barnum went recruiting. I love those signs, those those wanted signs. Imagine what it's like to live your whole life and the world has told you that you're unwanted, that you don't belong, that you don't fit in. I love what Barnum says to Annie Jones, the bearded woman, when he first sees her. He looks at her and he says, extraordinary, unique, I would even say beautiful. I suspect that this was the first time in her life when she was called beautiful because she was born with hair on her face. Can you see where this movie about a circus begins to illustrate the good news of Jesus. Because for Jesus, it didn't matter what the book of Leviticus said. Jesus went out of his way to find the people that everyone else said was unclean, that they said they were not beautiful, they were misfits, or somehow or the other didn't fit. I love the fact that if you read the gospels, Jesus spends most of his time looking for the people that no one else was interested in. There is a litany of freaks and weirdos that Jesus sought and healed. A woman who was hunched over for 18 years. A man who lived among the tombs, cut himself with stones, who everyone was afraid of, and Jesus went up to him, changed his life, set him free. The freaks, the curse, the sinners, the outcasts. These were all the people that Jesus devoted his time and attention to caring for. What did Jesus see in these people? He saw more than their appearance. He saw beauty in them. He saw their uniqueness and how their uniqueness might be used by God to accomplish great things. They were glorious. Can we see the sacred worth in all of God's image bearers? By the time we were in seventh grade, we all knew so well how to exclude, tease, and to find people who look different and make them feel bad about themselves or to hurt them with our words. And as we get older, we still do the same thing. We think the church is for a certain group of people, a certain club for a group of people. And The Greatest Showman isn't just about circus performers. It's a reflection on contemporary society, divided by pain and injustice. 
being pulled apart at the seams by those in power. Racial discrimination, check. Gender equality, check. Class warfare, check. Prejudice based on physical ability and differences, check. The choice between family values or power, check. The undying pursuit of the American dream at all costs. It's all there in this movie. The greatest showman is set in the 1800s. But once you get past the costumes, you can't help but feel it is eerily similar to what we've experienced in 2023. It is an allegory of what the church should be. It is a metaphor of what we stand to lose if we give up Christ's commandment to love others in favor of our own political or personal gain. You see prejudice in the film in lots of different groups of people, even in the movie's main characters. And at times throughout the film, they too succumb to the cultural norms of prejudice, racism, and judgment, all the while simultaneously trying to fight against it. Barnum becomes the very thing he's fighting against. And as Christians, so do we. As followers of Jesus, we're not called to judge others, but to love others. And our role is not to point out the sin in society, it is to root out the sin in us. Early on in his faith journey, the apostle Peter saw the world through an us versus them lens. And he treated non-Jewish people differently than he treated Jewish people. But Jesus was moving in Peter's life. The Spirit opens him up to encountering and loving those who are very different than himself. But old habits die hard, and past prejudice can sneak up on us. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 2. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why, why did he stand condemned? For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now, there is a lot to unpack here. But Peter stood condemned. Why? Because he wasn't acting in line with the gospel. Because he treated people wrongly. He showed favoritism to the people that were just like him. And the Bible says he stood condemned. Paul is saying that when he ran into Peter in Antioch, he opposed him. These were the two most prominent church leaders. But when certain conservative religious people came from James, Peter changed his behavior. He used to eat and hang out with the Gentiles, non-Jewish people. He used to eat like them and with them. But then when the religious people arrived, Peter draws back and kept his distance from them. I wonder that if you were one of those Gentiles, how would that make you feel? Would you feel like you are a real important person in the church? Well, he used to hang out with you, but now he doesn't hang out with you anymore. Paul says, Peter, you're being a hypocrite. No, what does he say to Peter? 
He do, does he say you're being prejudiced? You're being racist? Does he say you're being an elitist or you're being a snob? No, he doesn't say that. All those things very well may be true, but that's not what he says. What does he say? He says, hey, Peter, you're not acting in line with the gospel. The translation of the Greek word here uh, is orthopedeo. It means to walk in a straight course or to act uprightly. It comes from two words, ortho, meaning straight or right, and feet, poes, right or correct feet. He's saying your feet are all wrong when you treat people this way. You're tripping. He doesn't say you're being a snob, you're being prejudiced. He says you're not walking in line with the gospel. Your footing's all wrong. Because the gospel is built on a line of grace. And when we see someone who is different, someone that we disagree with, we fear, we judge, we withhold the compassion that we're called to demonstrate as Christians. Well, it is then that we, like Peter, are out of line. And it doesn't take much. One critical thought can move us backwards in judgment instead of forward in love. Who are the people groups or persons that cause you to trip by not showing them love and grace? There is a behavior and an attitude to the gospel. So if you treat people who believe different, who act different, who are different, if you treat them different than the religious people you get along with, you're out of line with the gospel. See, the gospel is a way to live. There is this moment in The Greatest Showman where Barnum has an Apostle Peter-like moment. A moment when he too wasn't walking in line with the gospel. He's at a party with all the high and mighties, all the hotsy-totsy, all the hoity-toities. And his friends, those in the circus, want to come in to the party as well. Barnum, ashamed of them, closes the door in their face, essentially saying, you're not welcome. Even P.T. Barnum, in his most successful moment, becomes the very thing he started out fighting. Watch what happens when the rejected are rejected again. Strange to the dark Hide away, they say Cause we don't want your broken parts I'm learning to be ashamed of all my scars Run away, they say No one will love you as you are But I won't let them break me down to dust I know that there's a place for us For we are glorious the sharpest words want to cut me down I'm gonna send the blood, gonna drown them out I am brave, I am bruised, I am who I'm meant to be This is me, look out, cause here I come And I'm marching on to the beat I drum I'm not scared to be seen, I make no apologies 
gonna send a flood, gonna drown a mile. This is brave, this is bruised, this is who I meant to be, this is me. Look out, you see your In their pain, they find their voice. And during that song in the film, there is this defiance in their movements. And it is the anthem of the movie. I've heard that song a hundred times, and I've seen it nearly as many. And every time I believe God uses it to speak to me. We're all freaks. We're all broken. We all have things that are not quite right about us. We all have insecurities, doubts about ourselves. We've all at times been made to feel like our lives don't matter or that we're worth nothing. Jesus came to say, you were created in the image of God and he will relentlessly and fiercely love you and he'll help you find your meaning and hope and worth and purpose. You matter to God. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening to this, wherever you're watching this, you matter to God. Again and again, Jesus shows us, Luke 19.10, that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus shows us a particular heart, a particular concern for those who are marginalized, those who are second class, those who have been made to feel that they didn't matter. See, this is me, that's a gospel song. It's about what we find when we discover our lives matter in Jesus. God says, you are my children. You are precious. You are glorious. And the best part of the song is the, oh, okay, my voice is bad. But that's the best part because there's this unity in it. They're together in their anthem. There's a shared brokenness. We're all different. We all don't have it together, but we are together and not having it together. They discovered something that the New Testament teaches us again and again. How you look at people will determine how you love people. And when you look at people the wrong way, it's really hard to love them the right way. Many years ago, I was working at a church as the youth pastor. And when they hired me, I think they thought, well, here's someone who's young, seems to be a good fit. We can mold him into the kind of pastor we want him to be. And everything seemed to be going along as planned. Our youth ministry was thriving with a few hundred students every Sunday. It was just, these weren't just church kids. It was riffraff. And it was incredible. These teenagers who had been through so much, who had serious issues, were finding connection, finding hope, finding love. And I was beginning to see new things in the Bible that I had bypassed for so long. I began to feel like for too many years, I was living in a Christian aquarium and that I was just now beginning to experience the vast and beautiful ocean. And as the years moved on, I kept feeling that the church was trying to pull me in a direction that I knew I wasn't called to go. 
I got this sense that, yeah, John's great, the students love him, but when is he going to really buy in to the way that ministry should be done? And my years in that church, they were incredible. So many amazing things God did during my time there. But in the end, in my heart of hearts, in the deepest parts of who I am, I felt that who they wanted me to be was different than who God had called me to be. And I could not in good conscience compromise that. I am brave, I am bruised, I am who I'm meant to be, this is me. Who has God called you to be? I may not know the specifics, but you probably do. There is something inside of you that has always been there and you ran away from it or you've pushed it down the priority list and it's buried beneath mortgages and responsibilities and what you're supposed to do. And God is speaking to you now through that still small voice. Something is welling up inside of your spirit. Listen to it, lean into it. For some of us, that's what we need to hear today. For others, that may not resonate. I'm not sure what God wants to say to you through a movie at a church's sixth birthday, but I do know this. God has certainly called you to be the least judgmental version of yourself. God has called you to love every person who breathes. And the good news, it's even better than that. Maybe you too have felt like an outcast or a circus freak or someone that doesn't belong. And the gospel declares that you are wanted. You are beautiful. You are valued. You are loved. You are cherished. You're a child of God. Whatever lies you have bought into about yourself, let's run away and join the circus. It has been so incredible having a front row seat to this circus we call Prodigal Church these first six years. This place of liars, dreamers, misfits, saints, and sinners coming together, trying to learn to love God and love people. And the church has been, meant so much to me personally. I'm so proud of our church. I'm so uh, happy. It's so life-giving. I really feel that Prodigal Church is life-giving and not life-draining. I think I have the greatest job in the world. And it's such an honor and privilege to be your pastor. And I'm so grateful for these first six years. And cheers to six more. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you bless Prodigal Church. Open up the floodgates of blessing upon this place here in Central California, but also those who are watching online, who are listening online all over the world. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you bless them, that they be transformed by the good news of Jesus and that they accept and not judge those who are different. God, I pray that you move us to be who you call us to be, to step into that calling, that still small voice that is welling up inside of us, to be who you've called us to be, God. Let us do that in a greater way this year and this day and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Thank you so much for watching, um, for listening. Wherever you are in the world, you are a part of us. And so thank you so much for helping us celebrate our sixth 
birthday. Now, if you are in Central California, come on over to the Boulder High School Theater. We've got a lot of fun things. We're launching our new merch. Uh, I think you heard about that a little bit earlier. And we're gonna have an ice cream truck and photos of the family and inflatables and face painting for the kiddos. It's gonna be a great time. We look forward to the finale of our paparazzi sermon series next week. Grace and peace.